Welcome to episode 290 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast. This show was recorded on Tuesday 11th of January 2022. The Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast is brought to you by Jensen USA. Jensen USA, where you will find a great selection of products at unbeatable prices with unparalleled customer service. Check them out at jensenusa.com slash the spokesman. Hey everybody, it's David from the Fredcast, and of course, I'm one of the hosts and producers of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable podcast since 2006. For show notes, links, and other information, check out our website at www.the-spokesman.com. And now, here's my fellow host and producer, Carlton Reed and The Spokesman. Thanks, David. And on today's show, I'm talking with Mark Stevenson of RidingGravel.com. He tweets and blogs as Guitar Ted. And on one of his tweets earlier today, he mentioned that some folks across there in America have created the Gravel Riding Hall of Fame. Now, to those who know about the history of gravel grinding, Guitar Ted is one of the key figures from the early days, so here's hoping he gets to be one of the first inductees. Here's our 45-minute chat from earlier today. First of all, Guitar Ted or Mark, what are we doing today? Guitar Ted, Mark, Guitar Ted, Mark, Mark, Guitar Ted. It'd probably be easier just to go with Mark. Tell me, first of all, and I know I've asked you this before, because you have been on the show before. You've been on the show quite a few times. I went back and I found you 2007 was the first time you were on the, uh, the show. So you, you're, you're, a, you're a long time uh, show participant. I haven't had you on since 2018, however, but you have been on the show before. So I no doubt have asked you this before, but Guitar Ted, why? Well, when I was younger and uh, I listened to rock and roll music, and like most of my peers, and uh, my father was very much, you must buy American, because he worked in a factory and, and all that. Well, much of the rock and roll that I listened to at the time was not made in America. So uh, I became attracted this is back in the seventies to the music of Ted Nugent. So, and I saw, I listened to in high school. So my friends started calling me uh, Ted head because that's all I listened to. And uh, then that guitar Ted thing kind of grew out of that because I played guitar as well and still do. So that's where that came from. Okay. And that you are now refreshing my memory. Cause I now remember that. Uh, but for anybody new who's coming to, to, to the show and, 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 and I, of course I, I would expect them to go back and listen to the, the back episodes and listen to when Absolutely. we first had you on, et cetera. So, <laughs> so talking about that, and that, this is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, you were on, uh, because the guitar Ted that we all know and love is absolutely not just embedded in the gravel scene, but I, I would certainly say, uh, was one of the core people right back there, early 2000s on the gravel scene. So it, it, that is why we had you on the show to begin with, because you were at Interbike and you were there to do gravelly bike stuff for a, for a bike shop, for yourself. What were you doing in, when, we, when we met uh, uh, back in 2007 at Interbike? In 2007, Carlton, I probably would have been uh, doing stuff for 29inches.com, which was the site that covered the then still quite new 29-inch wheeled mountain bikes. 
I was kind of pivoting into more gravelly things, as you say, at the time. And, and I had a, a, you know, a blog site that uh, covered that kind of thing as well. And then eventually I phased out of the mountain bike stuff and phased into more gravelly things. And so now I'm uh, actually part owner of writinggravel.com, a site that covers the gravel scene. Mm. Now that has come to dominate the world of bikes. And I, I don't have to really go back to the transcripts for those early shows to, to realize that we were probably taking the mick. We were probably like pulling your leg quite a bit about how this is just, you know, the same old, same old, and it's just the, the, the bike industry, uh, you know, marketing this, this, this bike to, to sell more uh, right. bikes. But uh, it has come to be an absolutely massive category. And, and when I look at a road bike, I don't, in fact, I don't look at a road bike anymore. I think, well, I, I want a gravel bike for the kind of riding I want to do. Sure. I want to, I want to mix it up. So Absolutely. that category, which you were very, very early in on has pretty much taken over the world, hasn't it? It seems to have, um, you know, you bring up a great point, Carlton. Uh, originally when I was looking at this sort of thing back in the late two thousands, uh, my idea was that the road racing bike that you would find in most bicycle shops at the time was the wrong kind of road bike. It really was geared so much for, towards the racing side of the spectrum that it, it left out a lot of the versatility that I thought that would make a road bike more appealing to the average cyclist. And I felt that the gravel bike, so-called, was the perfect vehicle to bring back the versatility, to bring back the appeal of the road bike to a wider audience. And I never really thought that the, the term gravel bike was the right way to, to name these bikes, but that's what it has become. So that's what it is. It kind of stuck. It kind of stuck. And, 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 and those, are, I mean, that's kind of, cause you, you, are you still in Iowa? Yes. That's where you are. So whereabouts are you in Iowa right now, Mark? Uh, I mean, in Waterloo, Iowa, which is the home of John Deere tractors, if I, I suppose some people might know about that. Uh, it's the northeastern part of the state, smack dab in the middle of the United States in farm country. Now, I guess for, for here in the UK, you kind of go on to uh, almost tracks, you know, like forestry tracks. So that's where you do your gravel riding, probably. Whereas uh, I know in a, a, a ton of states... Uh, across there and I, i'm presuming iowa as well your, your road network you know is a is a huge part is actually gravel you know this is this is why they're such good bikes where where you are and in many states because you know huge uh, mileages can be done on genuinely on on gravel unmade roads basically absolutely yes uh and part of that stems back to history Back into the seven, late, late 1700s when the United States was first getting started, there was a, an act of Congress called the Northwest, uh, act, Northwest Territories Act, I believe it was called. Uh, anyway, it set out the way that America was going to colonize the, the North American continent uh, going forward. And part of that was to grid out uh, the states and counties and townships with roads so that the land could be accessed and by farmers and by uh, to to allow for schools and towns and whatnot, and so uh, that philosophy pretty much was imprinted onto the landscape of the United States early on, and therefore we have all of these mileages that you spoke of. 
So, for instance, in Iowa, we have upwards of about 70,000 miles of dirt and gravel roads, whereas the paved part is only about 46,000 or so. Mm. So you've got a, a whole ton of choice there. Absolutely. Um, yeah. for, for you can go on, on, on tarmac, on asphalt, uh, but y- y- you want to, to, to utilize these roads which are not being utilized because it's it, it kind of tough. You can do it on a road bike, a standard road bike, but it just wasn't as good. So what, what, how did you, what, what did you do to those first bikes to, to change them into gravel bikes before the industry started doing it? Oh, yes. Well, there, were, there was a thing called a cyclocross bike, as you know and, mm. and are familiar with there. Uh, that allowed for a little bit larger volume tire. Uh, of course, the UCI mandates a 33-millimeter tire, but a lot of these bikes will take a larger tire than that. And so we used those. We used mountain bikes. We used pretty much whatever bike we could get our hands on that was comfortable and in good order and could take a wider tire. So you would see all sorts of bikes out there in the early days. And how have they evolved? Have they evolved as much as you thought they might have done? Or have they evolved even more than you thought? How have they done? How's the industry done with this baby of yours? <laughs> um, well, I, I think that uh, overall, in, in the if you look at it from a, a wide angle view, I think that it's done a wonderful job with it. Um, most of these bikes are can be quite racy, even on pavement. Um, in, in then it, they're also adept at the unpaved parts as well. So that was kind of my overarching vision back then. And I think the industry's done a very good job of translating my ideas and others into that, uh, what we see today. But there are some things that do surprise, as you know, as you know, in the bike industry, there's always the outliers and the strange little things that happen. Uh, so there's full suspension gravel bikes. There's gravel. There are gravel bikes with, you know, electric motors in them. I, I never mm-hmm. dreamed that would happen. Um, mm-hmm. So there's there's definitely some things that that are unusual that grew out of this. Mm. Yes, I've had a, a, a wee while. I had a, a, a Canyon um, electric gravel bike. Ah, which how was, did you like which that? Which was a whole, a whole lot of fun. Yeah, it was good. You liked it? I, I, I enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I, I've got to admit... I, I do like um, the sweat aspect and the real grunge aspect of gravel riding. So I probably um, would prefer not to, to have an electric bike for that particular uh, mode. Sure. So I, I, I can see it much more applicable for me for like a transport bike rather than than, than, than as, a, as a gravel bike. However, each each to his own. Everybody, will have own. Everybody you know, wants to do their yes. own thing, which is absolutely... Fine. So there's a whole bunch of events that that really um, took this scene and 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 exploded it, like the early days of mountain biking, I guess. With you know the repack, what what mm-hmm. are the equivalents of to the repack in 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 gravel terms? Well, we can we can probably point to a lot of early events that existed. But did they have this sort of influence that a repack had, for instance? So, you know, there were people riding on mountains with bicycles before repack, and maybe they were doing their own little events. But we really don't know that uh, because it didn't start the dominoes to fall, so to speak. So I'm not going to sit here and tell you that uh, the events I'm going to mention were the very beginnings of the gravel scene because... There are other events, but 
you know, uh, I was involved with a fellow by the name of Jeff Kirkoff, who is still in the bicycle industry as uh, an employee of Ergon, I believe. And uh, he and I started an event called Trans Iowa, kind of an outgrowth of what Jeff had been doing at the time, which was individual 24-hour mountain bike events. And his vision was to cross the state of Iowa on gravel roads, on mountain bikes, and do it in a sort of as a outgrowth of some of the ultra mountain bike events that were happening at that time, like the great divide race and others of that ilk. So we did it on gravel and that perked up a lot of interest because we kind of did it at a very opportune time in history. So a lot of people were just getting online and joining forums and finding out about things that they'd never knew about before. And here we put this thing out about trans Iowa in 2004, late 2004 and it caught the attention of a lot of people, and we were contacted about how we did this. What was this about? This looks exciting. Can we do things like this ourselves? And so we uh, disseminated that information. Some people that came to our event actually went out and started their own uh, like events to ours, and it kind of started the ball rolling, and it was like you know taking a little snowball on the top of a mountain and watching it go down, and the next thing you know is an avalanche, and, and uh, you know, Probably six, seven, eight years later, there were so many events, we couldn't count them anymore. And, mm. of course, not all of those were direct outgrowths of Trans-Iowa, but, you know, uh, the, the early ones were definitely. We shared our rules with a lot of people and, and uh, are the ways we did things with a lot of people. And I'm sure that uh, what we did was a great influence on, that, on those kinds of things. So, yeah. And where, geographically, where, where was it all clustered? Or was it clustered at all? Was it was it maybe a bit like mountain biking, which which had a few different uh, spawning points, and then they kind of met together a few years you know later, mm-hmm. and perhaps you didn't even know that they were working on on, on these things. Or where, where did it geographically um, gestate? I would I would say Carlton that it, it gestated mo- mostly in the Midwest of the United States. So the states that are if you took a map of the United States and cut the middle third out that's probably the the heart or the the, the womb of gravel riding <laughs> if you will uh, and then it grew from there i mean it, it didn't take very long and there were people in florida doing it and there were people in southern california doing it and i've got contacted by folks in australia and uh, folks in in the uk that were interested in it too so um it didn't take long for it to to uh, get going in different parts of the world but for sure for sure the vast majority of events in the early days were in the midwest and how soon did the bike industry latch onto this co-opt it and and right. and do you think they did it cynically do you think you know because they you know it's famously quiver bikes you know you've got to have like you know you know your, your next bike so this was just a, the, the cynic would say well this is just an, an opportunity to just create another bike Absolutely, that you've got yeah. to go out and buy so how, how cynically should we view this or should we view this as no this was pristine territory and and the bike nerds got into this because they they loved it and that it kind of grew from that way so so give us a bit of a flavor of the industry um, meeting gravel riding Okay. Well, I, I think a lot of the industry uh, influence and interest grew out of the early gravel events that some of the industry people were attending. For instance, there were a number of people that worked for Quality Bicycle Products, which is based in Minneapolis, Minnesota, 
that did a lot of the early gravel events. And some of those folks were starting to think, what kind of a bike could we make that would do this better? And uh, then eventually Salsa Cycle started testing those kinds of bikes at different gravel events in the Midwest. And they were, to my knowledge, the first ones to market a gravel-specific bike uh, in 2012, I believe that was. And um, certainly there was an outcry of, oh, yes, you are just trying to make us buy another bike. You know, uh, there was a lot of cynicism around it. You're you very correct in pointing that out. But and, and a lot of people thought, well, it's just a cyclocross bike. And mm. so there was a lot of going back and forth until things you know, shook out. Once these people started riding on gravel in different places and back roads in different places, they realized that, you know, uh, like I mentioned before, it's a road bike with greater capabilities. And uh, I think a lot of people were offended by the term gravel and gravel grinding and and thought that that was uh, a trigger to the cynicism. And I believe that's probably correct. If it had been called an all-road bike or something of that nature, I think it would, would have been uh, better accepted off the bat. But be that as it may, uh, the industry started to finally jump on board with the gravel bikes. I would say probably 2014, 2015 was about the, the point when you started seeing companies actually, besides Salsa, actually starting to, to market that kind of a bike. And then Five years later, well, <laughs> if you don't have one of those in your line, it's crazy. <laughs> so, so it wasn't it wasn't just you know the next year. It wasn't two thousand eight. There was still a few years absolutely. in which people were chewing this over. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, you know when we started Trans Isle, the first one was uh, two thousand five, and so I would you know there was a good seven year period without any gravel bikes there, and by that time there were lots of events. And as I mentioned before, people were using whatever they could get their hands on that would take a bigger tire. So we would see mountain bikes, full suspension mountain bikes even. Uh, we would see cyclocross bikes. We would see older road bikes that took bigger tires. You know, back in the day, road bikes did take bigger tires. And so we would see some a fair amount of older road bikes on the gravel roads yeah, ba- as Back well. in the day, a long way back, we're talking now. We're talking like, you know, pre-70s and Pre sixties, pre fifties. I mean, sure. a long, long. Is that is that what you're talking about? Like the original, yeah. like road bikes, like yeah, Tour and, de and France. S- you know, nineteen oh five road bike. Is that what you're talking about? Sure. Yeah. I mean, that's you know what we did in the in the two thousands. What the bike cycle industry did in the twenty teens uh, was pretty much modernize that idea of the road bike that existed in the early twentieth century. Really, I, I, I that's what I believe. Um, you know, with better materials, a little bit of the tweak of the geometry here and there, but, you know, with those big voluminous tires and, you know, with an aim at going anywhere on that bike. Uh, and, and as I tell people often, I I believe a gravel bike is the kind of bike you use anywhere between full on crit racing, uh, all the way up to mountain biking and everything in between there is what, what a gravel bike is for. So if you can find that path or that road, uh, that's what a gravel bike uh, can do. And it doesn't have to be paved, but it could be. And uh, I I think that the industry kind of, I don't think they consciously did it, but I think that's what they did. They they modernized that old road racing bike. And there did seem to be, there's two strands here in that in, in my garage, 
it's actually my wife's bike, but it, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an old road bike. It's a custom built. It wasn't custom built for her, but she just bought it off somebody 30 odd years ago. Um, but that's got 19 millimeter tires. Oh it yeah. It's yeah. punishing. Mm-hmm. And it's so close to the frame. It's just, cause there was a huge trend in, in, in cycling, uh, seventies and eighties of just going, you know, the, the, the smaller the tire that, you know, the faster you're going to go. And then there was all sorts of, um, journals and boffins coming up with studies saying, actually, hmm. it's not that. The rolling resistance, you know, is the same with a fatter tire. You get the comfort here. It actually goes as fast, if not faster, on a bigger tire. So there was that trend in the bike industry already, wasn't there, of, of going yeah, right. to bigger volume tires. And then the yeah. gravel thing, so it kind of, they, they met in the middle, yeah? I, I, I would agree with that, Carlton. I think that... Um, we went too far in one direction and like the bicycle industry often does this where there's a trend that starts and then it's pursued to the Nat's eyebrow and that's too far in one direction and we have to pull it back. And I think gravel bikes were definitely that pullback and we'll probably see gravel bikes go too far in one direction as well. And we'll, you know, in the future and we'll have to pull back again, but, um, that's kind of the way the bicycle industry seems to work. Um, you know, now with I, I can point to mountain bikes at this point. I think mountain bikes are at a very extreme a- end of the geometry spectrum right now with the very slack choppered out front ends and the stubby stems and everything. You think back 25 years ago, stems were 150 millimeters long, and now they're 30 millimeters long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I think the road bike did that as well. And I remember mm. those skinny tired road bikes. They were brutal to ride on. <laughs> I had one with the 19 millimeter tires. Oh my goodness. I think I punctured on a, on a single piece of gravel sitting on the tarmac one day. And I thought that was crazy. So mm. that was one of the things that kind of uh, pushed me towards wanting a bike that had the bigger tires. Yeah. I'm not, I, I guess people thought they were going faster, but that's just because it was just so much pain. I'm actually riding these things. A 19-millimeter tire, it was not a comfortable no, uh, it wasn't. bike no. uh, 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 to ride. So now what we're talking about today, and, and why I uh, contacted you, because I saw a tweet from you, and I jumped in and said, well, come on, you've got to be in this. So tell me about what I contacted you for. So you've done it on Gravel Riding Today, uh, uh, gravel, sorry, dot com. Um, mm. There's a Hall of Fame. So tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, a few folks in uh, the cycling scene here in the United States decided that uh, this gravel cycling thing is really big. And, you know, there's been some people that have been involved in it. There's been some technical in- innovations that should be recognized. There been, have been events that have come and gone that should be recognized as helping to get this ball rolling. And we want to create a Hall of Fame for that. And so uh, today, uh, the Gravel Cycling Hall of Fame was announced. It will be uh, eventually a physical place that you can go in Emporia, Kansas, which was the home of the Dirty Kansas, which is now called Unbound Gravel, one of the bigger events in the United States. And um, nominations are open now. Uh, If you go to the Gravel cycling hall of fame website um you can nominate people yourself that you feel should be in there there's certain um parameters that you have to follow to do that but that's all there on the site to look at and uh yeah it's kind of exciting to see where that will go um 
I was talking offline with a good friend of yours, Tim Jackson, um, mm-hmm. who and he he was mentioning you know some ideas he had about this, and I said, yeah, you know, uh, when you take on the idea of a Hall of Fame of anything. Uh, that's a big responsibility. So I feel like the people who started this, uh, you know, really have bitten off of quite a bit. I hope they can handle it because um, this could go in, in a lot of different directions. But mm. we'll see how it, how it happens. I, I'm not involved in it, as you, as you probably can tell. Uh, but I know a lot of people think I should be in it. So that's mm. why you're probably well, talking that, to me today. You're right. Cause that, so Tim pitched in, I pitched in, I guess uh, the, the Twitter feed is now on that, that thread is now, now probably more people are pitching in saying, mm. well, you know, yeah, I think what Tim was saying was well, you, you can't really have this without you on there. Um, and I certainly, I would, I would back that up. And, and that's mainly because the first person I heard talking about this scene you know back in those those uh, mid 2000s was you mm. and it was this uh, gravel what why this is oh, yeah. and it was it was certainly <laughs> new and yes. it was you it was new and it was you so absolutely you should be you should be in there so it, it'll be a crime if <laughs> if you're not in there um, especially with you know trans iowa and 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 popularizing it uh, to, to people like me um, uh, back before the before the industry had, had latched onto it. So yes. So now the the mountain bike hall of fame, and there's, there's a road hall of uh, bike hall of fame. There's all sorts of different halls of fame, but the mountain bike hall of fame uh, is in uh, the, the the museum, um, uh, which uh, Joe Breeze and a whole bunch of um, of the mountain bike pioneers uh, they, uh, they run. So there's like a, a physical. A location for it. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that where is the actual place in Emporia, uh, Kansas? Where, where is, is there a physical building? Is it in somebody's? My understanding, in somebody's head. Yeah, I think it, my understanding right now, Carlton, is that it's it's an idea at at present, and that the physical place will happen in the future. Um, I, I don't know where it will be in Emporia, but I would imagine it'll be downtown somewhere. So, um, in, in that city, that's been the home of, uh, of a gravel event since 2006. So they've been around gravel since the early days as well. And so it's probably a good place to be having the, the popularity that unbound gravel has and influence that that event has. So that, that all makes sense to me. It's in the middle, middle part of the United States where we talked about already where gravel kind of grew up and uh so that part makes sense to me and uh and and i get all that but um as far as an actual place that doesn't quite exist yet as far as i know and i might be paraphrasing you here but i'm pretty sure on on that uh, the, the the twitter thread that we we had going there you were saying one of the the the, the impetus for this is this this the history needs to be written Mm-hmm. Uh, about these things and far better to have this accurate history uh almost curated uh by by uh, uh, this 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 thing that you, you you're pulling together yeah this this body so it's almost uh peer-reviewed in that there's gonna be a bunch of people and you can tell us who those bunch of people are now uh, in a second of who, who are behind this thing uh but in effect, they will be saying, "Well, this person should be in, this person shouldn't be in," and and then there's all sorts of academic, you know, toing and froing of, mm. of of actually nailing down the actual history of this. So, so 
having an, an organization like this is a good way in almost an academic way of working out the truth uh, behind formations yeah right right yeah if you think about the mountain bike hall of fame uh as a as a parallel to what is going on with the gravel cycling hall of fame it makes a lot of sense because you know there was all that back and forth about who invented the mountain bike and mm. was it gary fisher was it joe breeze was it tom ritchie well who actually did this and so a mountain bike hall of fame kind of helped sort all that out um you know who did the first races those kinds of things and um my my i'm a i'm a big fan of history uh and i think it, it's it's got a lot of uh value as far as you know, reminding us not only of the past, but uh, why we're where we are today. And if you don't have that history in a in a Hall of Fame or written down somewhere, then people will re- remember what they want to remember. They may not mm. be remembering the truth. They may be making up their own narrative. Well, whereas if you have a history book with accurate information, uh, you can say, well, hold on a minute. <laughs> This is what actually happened right here. And so then people can learn. And I think that's important, um, not only for cycling, but for all sorts of things that we do in life. So I think that the idea of the Gravel Cycling Hall of Fame is a great idea. And the people that are behind it are Leland Danes and Toby DePaul. Both those individuals were uh, event promoters. Back in the day, uh, Leland worked with... Uh, the Dirty Kansas, which became Unbound. And Toby did a grassroots gravel event in Illinois back in the day. Um, and then Kristen Lagan, who is um, in the industry with Shimano, she's also on that board. Um, and there's a couple other industry people I can't think of right now. Neil Shirley is another one. I know he's a media person as well. Uh, and I can't think of the other person's name at the moment. But they are the main people who started this. Uh, when you nominate someone, they have uh, supposedly have a cast of between 25 and 30 people in the media, in the industry, in events, promotions that are going to review who gets nominated. And from that committee will then select who gets in the first class, which will be announced, uh, I believe, and I don't have this information in front of me, I'm sorry, but I believe it's in um, April, early April, I want to say. Um and then they're going to be actually installed in a banquet that ha- will happen right before the next Unbound Gravel, which is the first week of June. So uh, I don't know who those 25 to 30 people are in the industry uh, that are going to be sitting down and looking over all this information that's going to get sent to them. But uh, I, you know, I have to trust that the founders chose wisely and they have their hands firmly grasped on the handlebars of this thing so it won't go off into the weeds and and we'll see what happens cool now um it's kind of a hackneyed phrase uh but jumping the shark uh here so is 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 the creation of a hall of fame that jumping the shark moment where in effect gravel biking has peaked <laughs> and this isn't a sign of vim and vigor this is a sign of like almost you know old age maturity but in a bad way in that you know this is this is this is not a good thing it's no longer a young sport is kind of what i'm saying is mm-hmm. it's almost becoming you know it's past its adolescence it's now going into old age potentially these kind of things can 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 make people think oh well that's not the next big thing is it 
there's now got a hall of fame there it's like that's mm-hmm. kind of you know this is that's old people's stuff mm-hmm. um is there a danger do you think of this actually yes it's good to have the history written down and and and, and peer-reviewed but it all suggests suggests that this is an you know an, an, an no longer a new thing no longer exciting could this be the actual the death knell of of of, mm-hmm. of gravel cycling that they're all- that, that becoming no longer trendy put it that way Absolutely. I, I think it's all of that. And it's all of that in, in, in a lot of ways. Uh, I go back to my little conversation with Tim Jackson earlier today. Uh, Tim mentioned that, you know, we have to be careful not to lampoon this thing because there's a lot of people who think this is new. It's new to them. They just came to gravel cycling in the last couple of years. Um, They've never heard of it before till then. And um, so I think we're still pulling in lots of new people. Listen, I thought gravel jumped the shark, you know, five, six years ago. Uh, and I thought, well, this is it. It's over. And look, mm. look where we are today. And, and uh, it's one of the categories that's, that a lot of the industry people say is still growing. Uh, one of the few categories, probably the only mm. one that really outdoes it is, is the electrified bikes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you, Carlton. I, I, I think in a lot of ways it has jumped the shark, and I think a lot of people are going to say that and feel that, uh, especially people that have been around it as long as I have, uh, that remember the old days. Um, and there's going to be people who just found out about this today uh, because of this announcement. And, whoa, there's a Hall of Fame for this thing? I've never heard of it. What's going on here, you know? And uh, <laughs> But another driving factor, I think, too, is, and we haven't mentioned this, is, uh, you know, where do you ride a bicycle at and where is it safe? And I think that's one of the major factors of why gravel cycling has become as big as it has today. It's because it's so hard to find a place where you can simply enjoy a bicycle ride without fearing getting run over by a vehicle. Uh, and, And gravel cycling has kind of you know, made that choice an aware, you know, made an awareness of that choice to people. Let's put it that way. Um, you know, a lot of people weren't aware that there were 70,000 miles of gravel roads in Iowa that you can go out and ride. Mm-hmm. You can ride that really. Uh, they thought they had to ride on pavement and well, you mm-hmm. don't have to, you can get out of, you can get out of these, the path of these vehicles and, and enjoy nature and enjoy a bicycle ride without thinking you're going to get killed. Uh, <laughs> And I think that worldwide, that's taken root. It's it's amazing, mm-hmm. you know. But you know very well how that is in in the UK, where you know riding on the roads is is fraught with danger. So this this back road cycling thing becomes a rather appealing thing when you find out that you can get away from that. I think, and I think that's something that we need to think about here too. That that keeps that gravel cycling niche going. It's also a worrying thing uh, for, for, the, for those reasons, because also that's where mountain biking came from. So you, if you talk to Gary Fisher, if you talk to mm-hmm. Joe Breeze, then a lot of their, their conversations are, are exactly the same as, you know, you, you have the freedom. Basically, what, what, what do you mean by the freedom? And it's, it's not just going downhill, you know, in, in jeans and a, and a, a plaid shirt and, you know, uh, workman's gloves and big boots uh, on the repack. It was the freedom to get away from, from motorists. Mm-hmm. to get away from from cars so gravel biking had that kind of impetus so w- isn't that a reflection of of how crappy we, we, we the, the the asphalted side of the planet is in that we're always cyclists are always running away they're always riding away 
from from those big beasts and and isn't that kind of unfair because where where the, the places that have been asphalted are the important places because you know this this half of the, the state might only have um um asphalted roads but they're going to be the important roads and the ones that aren't asphalted the reason they're not asphalt asphalted is because they're not quite so important it's great to ride on them but they're not as important those roads so this is a this is a reflection of 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 society being askew i couldn't agree with you more carlton you've you hit the nail right on the head you know i would like i would love if gravel cycling as a niche died because we were able to ride on roads without fearing our for our lives i'd love that i would think that would be wonderful uh we should be able to ride our bikes anywhere that we want to with you know in harmony with vehicles um, but then again, we should have a lot less vehicles too. I believe that's you know, just my personal opinion on the matter, but I, you know, Hey, I ride on asphalt and I live in a town and I have to, you know, share the road with these, these big vehicles and, and how people pilot them. Uh, so I, I completely understand where you're coming from. And I completely agree with that viewpoint that, you know, it's it's kind of a reflection of of uh, of a bad situation, and uh, hopefully, in the future, we can rectify that because I think it would not only be great for cycling, but it would be great for a lot of other th- reasons as well, which I know you're very in tune with. I am. So let, let's just let's just carry on digging into this because we're we're almost getting into philosophy here. Absolutely, uh, uh, <laughs> and that is, you know, so so if if what you're saying is. Um, yes, it is partly, a, if not a greatly, a part of it is an, an escape from from getting away from from motorists. So it's not an intrinsic love of the surface, the gravel. It, how much? Of, well, let's see how much of it is. How much of it is the intrinsic love of that surface, and how much of it is getting away because cars aren't on that surface? Mm-hmm. Or do you actually genuinely do cyclists actually really prefer the asphalt if truth be told, but because there's so many cars on there, they'll stick to the gravel. I think there is probably a, an element of uh, the gravel cycling public that absolutely loves the dirt roads. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's for a number of different reasons. It's just, it's not completely tied to what's the surface of the road is. It's where those roads go. So there's some people who like to, you know, get lost in the country and be amongst nature. And I know if you live in the west or in the east of the United States, there's beautiful, beautiful mountain roads that you can ride on. Uh, We have beautiful roads here in Iowa that run along rivers and things, you know, and the only way you're going to be able to do that is is accept the roads that go through these areas, which generally speaking, aren't the main roads. And like you mentioned before, that's why they're not asphalted. Um, But again, you know, um, there's beautiful roads that are asphalted that we should be able to enjoy as cyclists as well. Mm -hmm. So I agree that, um, you know, the, the limiting ourselves to just dirt and gravel um, is, not ideal and a reflection of the um, situation we find ourselves in with, with cars and trucks in, in the world. Um, and so, yeah, some of that, some of that gravel and dirt thing is, is something you have to accept to get away from those things. But I think mm-hmm. there are people who, who genuinely do like those road services as well. So 
I think the vast majority I, I, of I'm one of them. would rather not, though. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll answer that, that question, but I, I, I am one of them, Mark, in, mm-hmm. in that I actually do like the dirt. Um, and, and that goes back to, I used to, I used to long before uh, gravel riding, I used to tour in desert. So I, every year I would do at least a month in a, in a, in a, in a desert. And this is oh, in, wow. the, uh, in the, the 1990s. So I'd go out to the Sahara, I would do the Kalahari. I did a load, bunch of American deserts as well and, and Mexican deserts. I, I genuinely love the water-bound macadam road, the dirt road. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of like the taste of the, the dust. I, so I, I'm, I live in the UK, so I've got to get used to, to being an, a, a ton of mud as well. <laughs> I'm not so fond of that. I do love dry, dusty roads so i was asking that question and even though in my head i knew i actually like the dust <laughs> you know lots of people don't like getting at the end of the day you know you know get into their, their campsite if they're if they're bikepacking another new trendy thing of course uh or or, or getting to their hotel or getting just just riding up in a big circle and coming back home they don't like the dust right. i actually like that I, I like coming in from a ride and being incredibly dusty that's a successful day to me not not muddy but but dusty. I, I, I love that I, I do too. I, I, I'll be honest. I like that as well. <laughs> the more dust and dirt that's stuck to my legs, the better the ride was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Saying that, if I remember back to my, my touring days and this is, I have to remember this cause I haven't done, you know, some really hairy tours for a long time. I might let my son do that now. Uh, I, I liked also the, the long stretches of asphalt, but it had to be after you'd done tons of bumpy stuff. Mm-hmm. So it's good to do the, the butter smooth asphalt you know, after you've done a load of riding on the dirt. And then it's the, it's, so it's the contrast. I, I like, I like the, but then I guess that's where gravel riding really comes into its own in that you can do both. Yes. And this is a bike where it excels on both surfaces and it, it, yes. it's not militating against one surface. Whereas Absolutely. a road bike is military. You don't want to go on a gravel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And this is, this goes right back to where I mentioned earlier, where, the term gravel bike is just so wrong because immediately conjures up in people's minds, oh, this bike belongs on crushed rock roads and dirt. Well, I'm not interested mm-hmm. in just doing that. You know, it's kind of how when fat bikes originally came around about 10 years ago and people were calling them snow bikes. And we immediately dropped that term because, well, I'm not going to ride when it's cold out and snowy. So I don't want that bike. Well, if you call it a fat bike, now what's in your mind? It's a completely different picture. I'm not stuck riding just in cold weather. I could, you know, you could. Mm. That that possibility exists, but it's not just for that. And so I see that whole term gravel bike as being detrimental to the niche. But, you know, as I mentioned earlier, here we are. <laughs> There's no, no one doing it now. <laughs> mm. um, so... Uh, uh, we've been talking about the uh, the Gravel Bike Hall of Fame, which has been announced today. Mm-hmm. I will uh, provide a link uh, to that. But I, I read about it first on on um, ridinggravel.com because you provide the, the, the link on your, mm-hmm. your, your Twitter feed. But I will go to the actual um, – I'll do both. I'll, I'll, I'll link to both, of course. Sure. Um, but uh, tell people – so thank you, Eric, so much for being on the show today. Uh, Absolutely. Tell people – uh, where, uh, apart from maybe riding gravel, where they can interact with you on on the internet, your your social media stuff. Where t- tell us about all, all your stuff. 
I'm on Twitter at uh, at GuitarTed1961. Um, that's my handle on Twitter, so you can certainly engage with me there. Um, I also I have been writing a blog mostly about cycling since uh, 2005. I post about every day. It's uh, g-ted.productions.blogspot.com or Guitar Ted Productions in Google will get you there. And, um, and you can find me there as well. Thanks to Mark Stevenson there. And thanks to you for listening to episode 290 of the Spokesman Cycling Podcast, brought to you in association, as always, with Jensen USA. It was good to catch up with Mark, and I hope to bring you more episodes with some of our past regulars, including David, Donna, Tim, Jim, and a huge cast of others. Others that we've had on since 2006. The next episode will be with another industry veteran who's been on the show several times, and that's Rick Vosper, contributor to BicycleRetailer.com and a real expert of where the bike industry's been and where it's going. But meanwhile, get out there and ride.